Let's turn our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, if you would. Philippians chapter 3. Now, I know we went through the book of Philippians verse by verse on Wednesday nights and then shifted over to Sunday nights. I want to go back and look at this passage of Scripture here this morning and want to consider the subject to know Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 14. I'll read this text this morning here. You follow along in your Bible silently as I read aloud, beginning at verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I believe what, uh, much of what we see and hear reported in the news today is biased opinion rather than fact. It seems as though a large percentage of our nation's population spends more time impugning a person's character than they spend discovering the truth about that individual. I believe many opposing views about those who are being publicly attacked would be quelled if folks would just take the time and effort necessary to learn more about their opponent and that person's position. This is true not only in the political arena or the public eye, but also in regard to our faith as a whole. Isn't it amazing how many people attack Christianity without knowing the Christ of Christianity? Isn't it amazing how many denounce the Bible as God's holy word without ever having read it? Isn't it something how many oppose formal worship without ever entering a church house? And how many ridicule old-time religion without even knowing what it is. Knowledge is a powerful tool, isn't it? Solomon stated in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 9, 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Well, here in our text... Verse 10 is the key to this passage as it demonstrates Paul's thirst for the knowledge of Christ. He didn't want to miss out on anything. Verse 10 again reads, That I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. The word know here, it means to experience. Paul wanted to come to know the Lord Jesus in that fullness of knowledge which is only accomplished by being like him. He wants to experience the power of Christ's resurrection. To have that same power that raised Christ from the dead at work in and through his life. He wanted to overcome sin and uh, live a life that was uh, producing the Christian graces, if you will. He wanted to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And in order to do so, he felt he needed to know more about the Lord so he could better emulate Christ through his life. Albert Barnes, Bible commentator about this, writes, that I may be fully acquainted with his nature, his character, his work, and with the salvation which he has wrought out. It is one of the highest objects of desire in the mind of the Christian to know Christ. One thing Paul sought in life more than any other was the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He knew no matter how disciplined his life was, he could never be perfect. He, like every one of us, falls short of perfection, do we not? However unattainable his goal, he was committed to living for Christ and sought to follow the Lord's example in everything he did. The Apostle Paul lived to honor God, and this present passage demonstrates that desire. Like us to notice this morning three significant points about Paul and his desire to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that he might better serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Three areas here. Paul had a past experience with Christ, which refers to justification. He had a present experience with Christ, which involves sanctification. And he had a future experience with Christ, which represented glorification. So notice with me verses 4 through 7 as we begin here today. Verses 4 through 7 point out Paul had a past experience with Christ. He said, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Paul was a highly disciplined individual and a respected member of the Jewish community. He successfully established his place among those committed to upholding the law of God and his accomplishments were recognized by many. Here in this passage, it highlights some of Paul's achievements. And notice he starts out in verse 4, which I just read. He's willing to match his credentials against anyone else's. And he lists seven advantages he had over others. The first four had to do with his birth. And the remaining three had to do with choice. Just notice these things that he lists here. First of all, he starts off with the superiority of his birth. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day. This stressed, he was not a proselyte or an Ishmaelite, but a pure-blooded Jew. See, proselytes were circumcised later in life, and Ishmaelites after the age 13. He said, I'm of the stock of Israel. This described his heritage. His parents were both Jews, unlike some of the Judaizers, and he could trace his family lineage all the way back to Abraham. He was a true member of the covenant people. He goes on to say he was of the tribe of Benjamin. This was the tribe from which Israel's first king was chosen. This tribe had a special place of honor and was viewed with great esteem. And after the kingdom was divided under the reign of Rehoboam, son of Solomon, 
Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, sided with the tribe of Judah, and those two tribes became the southern nation or the nation of Judah. He said he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Hebrew son of Hebrew parents. Unlike some of the Israelites, he did not adopt Greek customs. He knew both the language and customs of the people of God, and he spoke Hebrew on a regular basis. So here he stands out and saying, I I stand head and shoulders above others because of these aspects of my birth. He was quite proud about that. Then he went on to laud his personal accomplishments in regard to his choice. He said, I'm a Pharisee. A Pharisee, he was a member of the strictest sect among the people. In addition to the law of Moses, the Pharisees added to their regulations things which in time were interpreted to be equal with the law. This was one of the debates that Jesus involved himself in with the Pharisees, how the traditions of the elders seemed to supersede the law of God in the minds of the Pharisees. He went on to say, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Before his conversion, his relentless persecution of believers could be matched by no one. And then lastly, he said, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. As to his own righteousness, he was convinced he was faultless. Pretty incredible when you look at Paul's evaluation of himself. But notice the context You see, all of this changed on the road to Damascus. Verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. There was a time in his life when he realized all of the self-righteousness, all of the personal accomplishments, all of the accolades, the achievements, all the things that he had done in life meant nothing in regard to his stance before the Lord Jesus Christ. All of his own attempts to be righteous, to be perfect, came short. And he realized he was desperately in need of a Savior. There was a time when he accepted the fact that he was lost and undone, and he needed to be redeemed. That took place, as I mentioned, on the Damascus Road. Paul had received permission from the high priest to go to Damascus, to uh, deal with Christians there, to persecute them, to expand past Jerusalem, yet on that journey... He met the Lord Jesus Christ, and Christ appeared to him, and Paul repented of his sin and received Jesus Christ as his Savior. He realized at that moment all the things that he could stack up one on top of another, saying, look at me, look who I am, look what I've done. He realized they meant nothing when it came to his need for salvation. As a result... He said goodbye to all of those things that he had accomplished in life and he turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. His past experience with Christ showed him he was nothing without Christ and was everything with the Lord. Paul decided he would cast aside his own accomplishments and repent of his sin and receive Christ as Savior. Paul came to realize what the Lord meant when he said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden and 
and I will give you rest. He came to understand Jesus' words when our Lord said in John 5, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hear that he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. John chapter 3, verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He came to understand what the Lord meant when he said, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Oh, what a joy for Paul when he realized Jesus is the Christ. Like John Newton could declare, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. What a great truth came to his heart when he recognized Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. He turned to Christ. He turned his back on his accomplishments, his heritage, all the things that he had done in life to say, I'm a good person and recognized according to the scriptures, there is none good, no, not one. In fact, he quoted that passage that's in the book of Psalms. He quoted that in his letter to the Romans. There is none good, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. He goes on to say, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul came to that realization as a result of seeing Christ high and lifted up. And aren't you glad today that you have trusted Christ as your Savior, that you recognized, you realized your accomplishments, your deeds, your tasks, your heritage meant nothing, but you repented of your sin and received Jesus Christ as Savior. What a blessing to know that our past experience with the Lord Jesus Christ was the same as the Apostle Paul's. It might have been at a different type, a different time, a different location, and a different set of words spoken. But nonetheless, we came to the Lord Jesus Christ, saw ourselves lost and in need of a Savior, and repented of our sin, and received Him as Savior and Lord. What a blessing to know. We are a part of the family of God because of that past experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. M.R. Dehan would say before an individual can be saved, he must first learn that he cannot save himself. Oh, how true that is. Dr. Harry Ironside would say, Christ is a substitute for everything, but nothing is a substitute for Christ. Church membership, baptism, how much we give, how long we have been a part of a church, how many times we've attended without missing whether or not uh, we've grown up in a, a Christian home, whether or not we're a part of a particular or specific religion, none of that has any merit, not any bearing at all on this matter. What does matter is whether or not we see ourselves lost and undone and in need of a Savior. Thank God to know Christ in such a way that we know He is our Savior. But not only that, notice in verses 8 and 9 and 10, Paul had a present experience with Christ. Notice verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him, 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Paul, saved by the grace of God, a new creature in Christ, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, wanted to be just like Christ. He wanted to live a life that was pleasing to the Lord. And this passage emphasized Paul's present walk with the Lord. Looking back, he repented of his sins and was saved. He became a new creature in Christ. His sins were gone, and as a result, he was saved and on his way to heaven. But while on his way to heaven, he wanted to live for God and be pleasing to the Lord and be as much like the Lord Jesus Christ as he possibly could. And this passage, emphasizes the present tense, if you will. Paul's desire at that time to put the past behind him and be wrapped up in everything about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the concept of sanctification. The process by which every believer who walks with Christ seeks to be like him. Notice he said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things. The word count, it's in the present tense. But it's continuous action. See, when a person has made the decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, he or she, we are to continue seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to continue seeking after the wisdom of Christ. That we might learn as much as we can about him, about his righteousness, and how to please the Lord in all that we do. You see, we never as believers in this life get to the point where we say, I've made it. I've arrived. I have finally achieved spiritual maturity in Christ. No, that's not the case for any one of us. We are all constantly in the process of growing. Unfortunately, many Christians have gotten to the point where they're satisfied with their growth as a believer of Christ. They're content with the amount of labor they have done in service for the Lord. Oh, how sad when we get to the point where we stop growing in Christ. Our sanctification, our becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ depends upon our daily, consistent walk with Him. Paul wrote to the Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, I live for God now. And I do so through Christ. To the Ephesians, He wrote, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. To the Colossians, he wrote in one ten that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Well, that so well sums up this idea of sanctification. Walk worthy of the Lord, fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. A daily walk with the Lord, wherein we grow closer to Him 
and we grow stronger in the faith. 1 John 2, 5. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Oh, it's the word of God perfected in us. Is there a daily demonstration in our lives that we love the Lord, we love others, and we're seeking to please God in all that we do? Paul was willing to say the past is gone. My present is wrapped up in Jesus Christ and I want to be just like him. That's what moved him to say, be ye followers of me as I am of Christ. Simply put, he said, come on, we're going to be like Jesus. Come on, we're going to follow him. And certainly we ought to do exactly that. Robert Murray McShane used to say, make me as much like Jesus as a redeemed sinner can possibly be. Someone else has stated, the new birth takes only a moment, but growth and holiness take a lifetime. Paul had a past experience with the Lord, wherein he got saved. Paul had a present experience with the Lord, wherein he sought to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice verses 11 through 14 of our text. Paul had a future experience with Christ. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Having been saved in the past and serving in the present, Paul was also looking toward his future with Christ. Either through death or through the rapture, we do know that Paul was looking forward to being with Christ. He said, I'm going to straight betwixt two. I want to be here to be a help to you, but I want to be with the Lord. Oh, what truth there is in that. Our desire is to be with Christ. Oh, we certainly want to enjoy our time of fellowship with those of like precious faith, with our family, with our friends. But how wonderful it will be when we're with the Lord. This word press, when he said, I press toward the mark in verse 14, it means to follow, to pursue, or notice, to persecute. It's the idea of someone who is relentless and will not let up. It's the same word used by our Lord in Acts chapter 9, verse 4. This is Paul's conversion experience. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And Paul used this same word in his testimony to the Galatians wherein he said, For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Paul is stating here in verse 14 in his testimony, I press toward the mark 
for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, I am just as determined to win this prize when I stand before the Lord as I was when I gave my life to persecuting, to pursuing Christians and doing everything I could to upset them and to disrupt them. As an unsaved opponent of Christianity, his goal was an earthly reward, but now as a saved man, his goal is a heavenly reward. He's looking toward the future. He's looking forward to the time when he's with the Lord. And he said, I want that prize. Colossians 3, 1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Oh, he was saved, he was redeemed, he was a part of the family of God, and as such he wanted to be as much like Christ as he possibly could. But he also was looking forward to the day when he would be with the Lord. And he encouraged others to not be overcome, not to be obsessed, not be overpowered by the things of this life, but to look to heaven and serve the Lord with eternity in view. The word prize here would be the crown of righteousness, which Paul describes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He said, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will, shall give me that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Oh, isn't it wonderful? There's a crown awaiting those who simply love the Lord and long to see him. First John tells us we should be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And there's a special reward for all who have that desire at the center of their heart. That prize or crown will be awarded, by the way, at the judgment seat of Christ, along with other crowns distributed to the saints of God for various aspects of their service. And please don't misunderstand. The judgment seat of Christ is a time when believers, after the church has been raptured, will stand before the Lord, and we will be judged, not for our sin. Our sin was judged on the cross. We'll never again have to answer for that Jesus became the propitiation for our sins, the payment for our sins. He has taken our place on Calvary, and our sins will no longer be brought up before God. But our service is what will be judged at this time. The Lord's going to look at our lives, consider our motives, and all those things that we do for the Lord will come through the fire as gold, silver, and precious stones, and will be rewarded accordingly. All those things we do for self for personal motive or gain, will be burned up in the fire as wood, hay, and stubble, for which we'll receive no reward. But the judgment seat of Christ, this is when God distributes five different crowns to those who are present. By the way, there are 11 different crowns mentioned in Scripture. But of these five, the other four, I already mentioned the crown of righteousness. You have the incorruptible crown for those who consistently practice self-discipline. When Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Then you have the crown of life that's given to those who faithfully endure the tests and trials of life. James 1.12, Blessed is that man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. 
there's the crown of rejoicing for those who seek to win others to Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2.19, Paul writes, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? And then the fifth crown would be the crown of glory for those ministers who lovingly and graciously shepherd and oversee God's people. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. As Paul, in this passage, we see as we tried to summarize these three experiences of Paul and his desire to know the Lord, his past experience with Christ was in regard to his salvation. His present experience with Christ involved his sanctification and his future experience with Christ involves his glorification. For us, we consider these three aspects of of this matter of salvation. Our salvation declares we're free from the penalty of sin. Our sanctification enables us to be free from the power of sin in our lives. And then our glorification will one day deliver us from the presence of sin. All to be with the Lord. What a wonderful, wonderful day that will be. Paul's desire to know Christ is is seen clearly in the past, present, and future relationship he had with the Lord. And I trust that for each of us, we're saved. We know Christ as Savior, but we are walking with the Lord now with heaven in view. Let me close with this thought. In the chapel of St. George in Westminster Abbey is a memorial of World War II. It consists of four large leather-bound volumes that contain the names of some 60,000 civilians who were killed in the city of London by enemy action. There are actually three other volumes that have been added to that set that involve peoples who died in other locations. One of those volumes lies open on the shrine and a light shines down on the typescript that names the people on that page. Pages are turned periodically, so anyone coming by can see the names of those individuals that are recorded in those volumes. Those names are made up of those who are rich or poor, titled or common, young or old, healthy or ill, sound of body or crippled, famous or infamous. They stand together to be revealed in the light for all to see as a page of the book is regularly turned. It truly is a book of death, but a book of remembrance. There's another book, the Lamb's Book of Life. It is open in heaven, and in that book too will be found the names of men and women, boys and girls, all different nations, tribes, and tongues. Yet, we see in those many classes of people whose names are recorded in that book, they are there because they are a part of the family of God. 
Saved by the grace of God, we note our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And it will reveal in that coming day all those who through faith in Christ have been born again and redeemed from judgment to come. What a joy to know our names are recorded in that book. The Lamb's book of life. Paul, looking back, said, I know Christ as my Savior. In the present, looking around him, he said, I want to be like my Lord. And looking to the future, he said, I know I will one day be with him. I want to receive as many rewards as possible that I might in turn honor him. I trust that's the knowledge and desire for each of us today. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know your sins are forgiven and you have a home in heaven? If so, are you seeking to live for the Lord and be like Christ today? And in doing so, do you have heaven in view? Or are we so locked in on the things that are going on around us, we've lost sight of our Savior, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith that ought to be a constant reminder to us to keep one eye directed toward heaven and ever looking for that time when he will return.